If this is your first time visiting the bridge, I see a few new faces. My name is John Peters. I'm a pastoral intern here at the bridge. I have the privilege of speaking throughout the summer while our lead pastor, Jerry Kellen, is on a much-deserved sabbatical break. So I'm thrilled that you're here to join us. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and I believe the church of Jesus Christ is God's primary way to communicate and live out that hope. So your presence here is a blessing. Um, Please pray with me as we get started. Father God, you give us this awesome privilege to come before you through the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for our sin, the empty tomb in which he rose from the grave. And through faith in that, we have the privilege to come before you. Father, even though our sin has separated us from you, through faith we can be reconciled in your presence. I thank you for the privilege to worship through song, through giving, through the hearing of your word. Father, I pray that the words that we look at today would impact our hearts, would impact our hands in terms of what we do and our minds and how we think. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Psalm 102 this morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. I'll begin in Psalm 102, verse 7. This is on page 417 of the Bridge NIV Bibles. Psalm 102, verse 7. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Have you been there? Lying awake at night, even if your spouse has been sleeping right beside you, have you been lying awake at night thinking about troubles big and troubles small in your life? Maybe a friend's marriage that's falling apart, a business venture that didn't quite turn out as you had hoped, a family member or loved one that's going through sickness or disease. Struggling with a family member, a child, or a brother, a father that you're at odds with? Have you been there? I have. I think most of us, if not all of us, have, whether it's been last year or last night. Lying awake at night, feeling alone. How do we deal with these inevitable afflictions, with the pain and sorrow that come in everyday life? Well, I know my natural reaction, my natural reaction as a Dutch-Norwegian, Midwesterner, is to ignore it or maybe stuff it. So I'm, re- I'm a recovering Whatever you call that. 
Now, I probably can't blame it entirely on my DNA. I mean, in my family tree, if you hiccup, you either think you're about to get in a fight or there's a revival. So we are not an emotive people by nature. But I think that goes deeper than that to a human nature that wants to idolize the image that you have it all together. That when somebody asks you, how's it going? My natural inclination for a long time, and I think most of us would have the natural inclination to say, good, good, just don't ask me any more questions. And so as Midwesterners, we're pretty good at, uh, at covering that up. You know, there's a, a Midwestern proverb that says it could be worse. And we almost chide ourselves for, for having any expression of grief or emotion or pain. And while that perspective may be helpful to some degree eventually, that yes, there may in fact be things that we can be thankful for in spite of the toughest circumstance, while that might be helpful at some point, it's not the starting point. And so how do we deal with pain and affliction and suffering? Personally, and I think for many of us, our natural inclination would be to ignore it or to stuff it. But we're going to ask the question today, well, what does the Bible say about how we can deal with pain and affliction and suffering? And what would it look like for our churches to deal openly and honestly with pain and suffering in a way that's helpful to everyone. So this morning, by way of brief review, if you haven't been here this summer, for some perspective and for some um, reminders for those of you who have been, we're in a series on prayer called Prayer, Take a Breath. And we started out in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Okay, We looked at... Um, coming into the presence of God through prayer. That's Genesis 2-7. We looked at Genesis 1-1, how understanding God's creative power through space and time can give us eternal perspective on prayer. We looked at Genesis 1-27 and 28, how understanding uh, that we were made in God's image to reflect his glory, to expand his kingdom, impacts our prayer life. And in Genesis 3, as we finished our start in Genesis, we looked at how sin separates us from God. It separates us from who God designed us to be. It separates us from others, and it separates us from enjoying God's creation as he has intended. So in this series on prayer, we started out in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 for some foundational truths about who God is, who we are, and how he created us for awesome fellowship and communion with his presence, but how we were separated from that. Last week, we moved on into more traditional passages on prayer. We moved into the Psalms. We looked at Psalm 51. We talked about how the Psalms contain every single human emotion, joy, grief, confession. That's what Psalm 51 was, a confession of King David. And today... 
we're going to look at lament. Okay, a very real, a very biblical practice. A practice that uh, many of us individually and many of us collectively in our churches have been out of practice with. And so while our natural inclination might be to ignore or try to stuff pain and suffering, the Bible gives a different perspective. And that's what we're going to look at today in Psalm 102. Psalm 102, beginning in verse 1. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me. These are the opening passages to this song. The Psalms are prayer songs. Uh, If you remember from last week or if you weren't here, the, the Psalms are the prayer book of Israel, and they were the prayer book that Jesus would have used. They were were a collection of 150 prayers written down by various authors to bless and benefit God's people. And of the 150 psalms, nearly half, about 67, 68, are laments. A lament is an expression of grief or sorrow. So the very first thing we learn about the, the biblical application of how to deal with affliction and sorrow is, number one, that the Bible doesn't ignore it. In fact, it's a very prominent uh, part of Scripture. And so again, there's about 67, 68 of these psalms that deal explicitly with the writers and the authors pouring out their heart to God. They don't ignore it. They don't stuff it. They don't cover it up. They bring their pain before God in an open and honest manner. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call and answer me quickly. For my days vanished like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. Even in these first few few verses, you get this perspective of all the different ways that this author is being afflicted. We don't know who the author was. It was one of the few psalms where, uh, where we don't know specifically who wrote it. But read again, verse 3, my days are like smoke. Have you ever had that experience when you're being afflicted, when you're under stress, and you lie down at the end of the day and you think, what did I ever do today? This mental weight that you carry, that's on your shoulders, that you can't even look back over a day or week and figure out what you would have accomplished because your heart is so heavy and your shoulders are, are carrying this weight, carrying this burden. The author describes it like vanishing like smoke. Like we can't even keep track of what we did during the day. 
So there's that mental weight. My days vanish like smoke. There's that physical affliction. My bones burn like glowing embers. And it may be a medical affliction you're going through or a family member is going through. It may just be the stress that impacts your body. And you lay down at night and you're just physically exhausted because what you've been thinking about and caring and what's been on your heart. My days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. So mentally, physically, emotionally, the description of the heart being kind of the the center of, of one's emotions, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. That you're carrying this weight, you're thinking about this burden, it consumes all of your energy and your emotions that you feel like you have nothing else to give to loved ones, to friends. This is where the author is. And I know his experience is not unique. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. Verse 4, I forget to eat my food. Verse 5, In my distress I groan aloud, and I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake, I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Word translated bird here typically means like a small sparrow. So I've titled this message Smoke, Sparrows, and Stones because these are all three images, three pictures that the author of this psalm uses to convey his affliction. like a bird alone on a roof. And how affliction can make us feel isolated, can make us feel disconnected. Even those who are blessed with friends and family who reach out helpfully, even those who are blessed with them still can lay awake at night feeling all alone in the world during a time of affliction. Verse 8, all day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. Bright ashes is my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. A lot of the psalms are not hallmark psalms. <laughs> they're, they're real. They're people pouring out their heart before God, openly and honestly. So how does the Bible deal with affliction? Well, number one, it, 
It addresses pain in an open and honest manner. But it doesn't leave it there. It addresses pain in an open and honest manner in the light of God's promises. So we continue on verse 12. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show her favor. The appointed time has come. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Sometimes a Zion meant just Jerusalem in general. Sometimes it meant specifically where the temple was located in Jerusalem. A word often used throughout Scripture, uh, particularly in poetic, poetic writing. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for its time has come to show favor to her. To the, appoint, the appointed time has come, for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will will revere your glory. For the Lord will will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. Now we don't know exactly who wrote this psalm. We don't know precisely when it was written. But based on clues within the psalm, as well as other psalms that are similar, that we do know their time period, this very well could have been written during the period when God's people were cast out of Jerusalem and taken captive into Babylon. This would have been about 586 B.C. is when this happened. This is called the Babylonian captivity. Israel had a young king who became king at the age of 21 years old. And instead of relying on God for their protection, they became entangled in alliances between the major world powers of their day, between Babylon, between Egypt, and going back and forth. They got themselves into these quagmires where uh, they were in alliance with Babylon. And then they switched and went into an alliance with Egypt. And then the Babylonians came in in 587, 586, besieged their city, surrounded Jerusalem. And for 18 months, didn't let anybody in or out. And so, the biblical books like Jeremiah, Lamentations, uh, these are laments around that period in history. Whereas the water ran out, the food ran out, people were dying in the streets. There was great despair. There was great affliction, physical affliction, mental, emotional affliction. So when the the psalm writer talks about rebuilding Zion... Many of those psalms like that 
specifically refer to a time when God's people will be able to return and worship God in Jerusalem. Going back to 16, For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. And this is the third thing that I want to highlight about what the Bible says about dealing with pain and affliction. Number one, it does so. It addresses pain in an open and honest manner. It does so in the light of God's promises. Number three, it does, it accomplishes a redemptive purpose. Okay, so this psalm writer, pouring out his heart, writing it down, will benefit God's people for generations, future generations, for a people not yet created, that they may praise the Lord. So a very important biblical perspective is that when going through pain, when going through affliction, record what you're, what you're going through. Someday, you may come across somebody who's going through the very same thing. And you may have the unique opportunity at that point to come alongside that brother or sister, put your arm around them, and give them fellowship and comfort that nobody else can because you alone may know what they are dealing with. So the Bible deals with pain in an open and real manner. It does so in the light of God's promises many times for a redemptive purpose. Not that any one sin draws a straight line to some other suffering. That's the mistake that many Pharisees made in the New Testament. They came to Jesus with this man who was blind, and they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither one. So sometimes there's afflictions we're going through that that are just the result of living in a world that's not as it should be. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth. To hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord would be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the people, peoples in his kingdom when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength, he cut short my days. And so I said, do not take me away, my God, in the midst, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
They will perish, but you will remain. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. But you, O God, you remain the same. And your years will never come to an end. So the fourth point that I'd like to highlight in terms of how the Bible addresses affliction is with a heavenly perspective. So it deals with pain in an open and honest manner, number one. Number two, it does so in the light of God's promises for a redemptive purpose and a heavenly perspective. In closing out the last verse, the children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. And the last and final point, looking at this Psalm 102, is that it leaves us with hope. The children of your descendants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. So it leaves us with hope. Deals openly and honestly with pain in light of God's promises for a redemptive purpose with heavenly perspective and hope or if you're looking for that fifth word to start with the letter P, like I would be, profound hope. Now the hope of the Israelites was that one day God would raise up a deliverer, a rescuer, a Messiah. And Different people didn't know if there would be one Messiah or two different ones, maybe three different Messiahs. But there was this long expectation that God would raise up somebody who would conquer their enemies, defeat sin, make things right in the world. And so they were looking ahead to the Messiah. We, in 2017, look back on the Messiah, and we have the privilege of having a little bit clearer picture of who that was, specifically in Jesus Christ. So turn ahead, keeping Psalm 102 in mind, turn ahead, if you have a Bible, to Hebrews chapter 1. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know specifically who it was. The writer of Hebrews, looking back, we know he wrote after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, looking back on those events. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, uh, 2, and 3. 
In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Continuing on a few verses later in verse 8. But about the Son, he, God, says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Does that sound familiar? That's a quote from Psalm 102 that we just looked at. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you will remain the same. And your years will never end. Later on in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews describes a little bit more about how Christ the Son did what the sacrificial system in the Old Testament could never do. Hebrews 7, verse 11 says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, that was the system set up to offer sacrifices in the original temple, if perfection could have been attained through that, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek? This is speaking of Jesus. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Continuing on in the last passage, I'll highlight in verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death. Now there have been many of those original priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So the writer of Psalm 102, whoever that was, and God's people at that time were looking ahead to the promise of a Messiah, of somebody who would come, make things right. If you remember going back a few weeks, ever since Genesis 3, God has promised that there would be one to come who would crush 
sin. And the psalm writer looks ahead at that point to the coming of the Messiah. We, in our day, have the privilege to look back with a little bit clearer picture. And through the help of his word, understand that passages like Psalm 102 all in some way were pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. Because it was Jesus Christ who was afflicted with pain. It was Jesus Christ who fulfilled the promises of God. His death had a redemptive purpose for the covering of our sin. He sits at the right hand of God right now with eternal perspective. And through faith in him, we have hope that's profound. Hope ahead that one day Christ will return, things will be made right. Justice will be done, death will be eliminated, there will be no more disease, there will be no more decay, there will be no more destruction. He will come. Justice will be done. And we will have true peace and presence with the God who created us. So what are some applications for us in prayer? What would it look like if the church of Jesus Christ prayed to deal openly and honestly with pain, but in light of God's promises, with redemptive purpose, with an eternal perspective, and with hope. Well, number one, the first application is don't stuff it. You can sing about it. You can write it in a journal. This is a journal I've been keeping of prayers over the past year and a half. It's been incredibly helpful to me. Someday, if I have the privilege to open this up and take one of my grandkids through when they're going through a tough time and say, you know what, I may have been through something similar. And here's what God was teaching me at the time. To have that written down, I would encourage you to do something similar. So don't stuff it. Whether you're a singer and sing about it, whether you're not a singer and still sing about it, whether you story it, I just make story a verb, I'm going to, whether you story it, just write it out, write it in a journal, tell it to somebody else, use it for some redemptive purpose. Number one, don't stuff it. Be open and honest with God. He already knows it, but be open and honest with God about your pain. Almost half the Psalms are the exact same thing. The Bible deals with it openly. It encourages you to as well. But don't stay there. Because at the right time, there are promises of God to hold on to, to carry us through times of affliction. There are redemptive purposes that we might not see that may benefit others in future times. There's a perspective that we might not have because our 
days and minds are limited and finite, but we have a creator God who made the whole universe, who created time. And there's a hope that we can hold on to because one day Christ will return. That's the message of the Bible, that Christ will return, justice will be done. Death will be done away with, and peace will come. So what would it look like for our churches to pray in a manner that is open with our afflictions and that comes alongside people that are going through that at this very moment? You may or may not be going through an affliction that would cause you to pour out your soul like the psalm writer here, but undoubtedly there are people in our church that are, and people you know in your neighborhoods and friends and families that are. I believe one of the most powerful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ is coming alongside those that are in affliction without judgment, but with love, walking with them through times of trouble, encouraging them to write this down, the redemptive power of the healing power of story, of song, of a Savior who has died and rose again for you, for them, and who one day will make things right when he returns. Please pray with me. Father God, you give us the witness of so many authors in the Bible that openly and honestly pour out their heart with the afflictions that they are going through. Father, it doesn't come natural to me. I don't think it comes natural to a lot of us in our day and age. And, but Father, it's biblical to pour out our pain. You already know it. It's not for your benefit. It's, Father, pouring out our heart before you is such a healing step. But, Father, you don't keep us there. You give us promises throughout your word to hold on to. You show us how struggles that we walk through can have a redemptive purpose. Father, when Christ hung on the cross, he said, why have you forsaken me? But you used that. You used that terrible crime of his execution and his shedding of blood to cover our sin. And through faith in his death, in his resurrection, we too can be reconciled with you. Father, we know that your perspective is eternal, ours is finite. But Father, we know you give us hope. One day your son will return, one day things will be made right. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.